Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard, back again on another one of our fabulous Thursday podcasts, although I do appreciate that you may not be listening to this on a Thursday. It may be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. No, I said Thursday already. Today's podcast is a lace-only affair. It is myself. It is our co-founder, Kathy Acrotopolo. Hello very much. Hi, Chris. You all right? I am. I'm good. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this one. Interesting debate. This will be an interesting debate. I'll tell our listeners what the debate is in a second, but let's introduce our third lacer into the mix, Evan Wynn from our team. Evan, how are you, sir? Fantastic, Chris. I'm genuinely delighted to be here. <laughs> love it. Love it. So this topic we're going to talk about today is really, really topical in the press at the moment. That's why we're kind of recording this and we're going to try and release it as quickly as possible because it's been talked about a lot. And it's about this inter- this enforced return to the office. There's been lots of stuff being said in the press around businesses that are mandating their staff to get back into the office. And we're going to have a little bit of a debate about it, the, the pros, perhaps the, the pitfalls as well. Uh, and we've also written a blog about it as well, which we released at the time of recording. It was this week, but I suspect when you lovely listeners are listening to it, it will probably be a week or two ago. But check it out if you haven't. You can check it out on the Lace Partners website. It's lacepartners.co.uk forward slash insights. And the blog itself is titled The Enforced Return to the Office, Positive or Pitfall. So quick framing exercise there. But I'm going to start off with you, Kathy, because you obviously wrote uh, large parts of the blog. So why is it that we need to be talking about this right now? Well, look, I think we've probably all seen some headlines, right, uh, from from a <clears throat> global perspective. But but recently in the press, there's been a number of organisations who've come out and mandated the return to the office. So American banks, JP Morgan, for example, is asking all its leaders to come back five days a week, not asking, but demanding that they come back five days a week. We have Bank of New York Mellon saying that you may face corrective action if you don't come back to the office. I'm not sure quite what that means, but that was the language used. We have Aviva who are saying that that from a perspective of bonus and reward, they're going to link the amount of time that people, leaders are in the office to their bonus. And then you've got AOL World saying, basically, if you don't like it, you can quit, but we need you all back. So there's some really emotive language in headlines right now that clearly are catching the attention of the press and us as readers. But I think also from a personal point of view, we're all getting into that stage of post-COVID when we maybe had a far greater degree of choice about where we worked. We're now into that sort of how do we operationalize that going forward point of view? And actually, it's not straightforward, right? And from a personal point of view, you can really understand why working from home has its benefits. You know, you save time on the commute, et cetera, and you can get work done maybe in a, in a quieter environment versus being in the office, which we all enjoy. We want that social engagement. We want to interact with our colleagues and, and we want to ensure that our people are learning and innovating. So you can see both sides. But actually, what's becoming very topical now is organisations forcing the agenda and taking away the choice. So it's a really interesting debate. There's lots of pros and cons on both sides. Looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, definitely. Evan, I want to bring you in on this one just to give us your perspective, because 
you've obviously done a little bit we've we've talked at lace quite a lot about hybrid working about flexible working about and you've written a piece on the lace partners website around the four-day working week as a, an example as to how business are trying different things but i wanted to almost get you to put your uh employee hat on just for a second talk to us just about your experiences around let's let's start with your experiences of getting into the office what kind of the pros and maybe the cons are from your perspective well first of all i am a fan of going into the office as you both know i live around 25 minutes away from the office so it's really quite easy for me to get into the office however there are days where it is better for me to be, to be staying at home. For example, I play Gaelic football, so I train on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night, and I don't get home till 11 or half 11. And having the flexibility to be able to work from home allows me to have that, that half an hour extra to stay in bed when I don't get to bed on the on the time that I usually go to bed at. So yeah, in, in terms of having the flexibility, I think it, it's, it's great in that sense. But I'm a massive fan of going into the office for the reasons that Cathy's just mentioned. So that social interaction piece. I love going in and seeing other people that I wouldn't see on a day-to-day basis. And also the the kind of um, finding out what other people are doing. Obviously, we're, we're a HR consultancy, so we're all doing client work. But it's really, really interesting for me, especially earlier on, early on in my career, to kind of ask and see what other people are getting involved in. So what kind of different pieces of work they're doing on different clients, because that allows me to kind of learn about the different services that we offer and kind of identify, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I might get involved in that. Or if we're doing something internally, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I'd love to get involved in that. So it it gives me going into the into the office gives me that opportunity to kind of see what's happening with everybody else. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because it's almost that learning by osmosis is something that is really valuable for certain people in at certain stages in their career. Kathy, just want to get your thoughts there on what Evan was talking about, particularly when we were talking about being being able to impart knowledge and be able to learn that kind of that those certain skills from people that you just don't maybe you don't get through that kind of if you're fully remote for example and by the way in this what i will caveat for this podcast today for you lovely listeners we're not advocating one way or another i think we're probably going to get to the point where you know there there is no one size fits all and it will depend different it will depend on different businesses so we'll get through some of the the negatives of it but let's just focus on the moment on that kind of the learning piece if that's all right yeah, look, and, and and it's an oldie but goodie, but the 70-20-10 learning model where 70% is effectively social learning is is it's lasted a long time because it's it's meaningful, right? But learning from others in a social setting is how you absorb new ways of doing things, how you can observe how other people operate, and how you can ask questions in the moment that maybe you don't get the opportunity to do when you need to book a call <laughs> to to talk to somebody to do work. As Evan said, you know, just being in the lace office, seeing how other people are interacting, hearing about what they're doing and being able to ask impromptu questions and get impromptu coaching is really powerful. And, and doing that, it, it's just not viable to do that in in a in a set in a in an environment where you're spending time on your own at home or wherever you may be but not in the office and the social aspect therefore of the interaction that you get from being with others is just not easy to replicate when you're on your own and have to book time with people to have that engagement so for me it's a massive part of why being in the office is important and and you know it's not just that coaching and learning it leads to innovation you know, the number of times I'm in the office and I'm just asking a question and get an instant response and it and it moves us on. Right? It moves Normally uh, asking me day. about IT support. 
usually Chris because you're so good and I'm so rubbish so that's that's exactly what <laughs> sorry what to interrupt <laughs> but that's a great example right if I'd have to ring IT I can ask my colleagues hang on have you got this problem what do you do about it saves me time saves our IT people time and actually is it gets me there quicker so I think there's an innovation aspect to this as well as a learning aspect which is exactly what the businesses who are mandating things are citing as being a key reason to come back. Now, whether you have to mandate attendance to achieve that is another matter, which we'll come on to, right? There's ways and ways of achieving that outcome. But I don't think anyone would argue with that being a major benefit of being in person together working. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's come on to this this mandating piece, because I think this is interesting. And I was talking to, we were talking previously about, I've spoken to some friends, colleagues about this idea of being told to do something rather than being you know, recommended to do something. And I've heard people talking about, well, I'm being told I have to be into the office three days a week. I actually come into the office three, four days a week anyway, but it's more that why am I being told to do something? Why does my organisation not not trust me to make the right judgment calls for me and my career? So I want to get some thoughts on that. I'll start with you, Evan, but then I'll come on to Cathy. Yeah, well, the trust thing is massive. If, if, if I was told that I have to come into the office, I'm I'm kind of asking why do you not feel like I'm doing my job in the best way possible, doing both working from home and working from the office? So that's that's huge. It, 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 if an organization forces you to come back into the office, I would say that they're not trusting enough in the employees that they have. And I'm the same as you, Chris. I come into the office three, even four days a week. So why can't I have the choice to do that if it if it suits if it suits me? Also, mandating people to come back to the office has a ton of implicate other large scale implications and everyone kind of knows these but attracting talent like if you have a have to work in the office policy it's going to be difficult for you to attract talent you're limiting the pool of talent that you can potentially go to so there's huge kind of larger impacts that uh, the mandated return to work is going to have but yeah i guess it, it, it firstly shows that your organization isn't trusting so kathy some of your thoughts just uh, building what evan said there Look, mandating is an interesting cultural choice, all right? So, so there must have been a decision-making process that the, the powers on high in these large-scale organisations have gone through to make that choice. And it's a real reflection of the cultural environment in which they're operating. I'm sure there's no coincidence that some of the organisations that have come out in the headlines are big US banks, right? They're, they're mm. US domiciled, they have big presences here, and then they operate differently to maybe how some other organizations operate. Ultimately, it is a cultural choice. From a business point of view, there are good reasons for getting people back to the office, right? If you've got a massive retail estate that you're maintaining and spending a lot of money on, then you want to make sure it's utilized, that you're using your asset wisely. Similarly, if you've got clients that really need to meet with your people face to face, then you're going to need to ensure that you've got good coverage of people to have those interactions with your clients. There are a chunk of businesses that have no choice already, right? So if you think about the hospitality industry, the retail industry, the, the sort of well-being interest industry, you know, doctors, nurses, et cetera, really hard to do a lot of those jobs unless you're in the office or their equivalent of an office. Uh, manufacturing would be another example. So in those instances, you can understand where you've got a maybe 80, 90% of your workforce that has no choice. For those that do have a choice within that organisation, you can understand from a an empathy point of view alone, let alone a leadership demonstration of leadership perspective, 
you will want people to be back in the office so that you can say you are empathizing with your broader workforce, right? So there are good business reasons for this to happen. I personally see it as a cultural statement, if that's the way you're going, to mandate it as opposed to leave some degree of flexibility. I think also to Evan's point around attracting talent, we are still in a really challenging talent attraction environment. The power is still very much with the employee to choose where they work. We are still at, you know, really low levels of unemployment. There are multiple unfilled vacancies. So it's quite a brave choice to say in the market right now, our position on this is we are not offering flexibility. You will come back to the office when there are plenty of other employers who are not saying that and are still leaving a degree of choice with their employee group. So again, you you have to question, are you impacting your ability to attract and retain talent over time with that statement? Or is it so fundamental to the success of your business that actually it's good business sense to take that risk because it enables you to be more effective as a business? So we really have to understand what's driving the business decision to make that statement. Yeah, and I'm not trying to uh, deliver any conspiracy theories here, but we've obviously, and I've sp- spoken with friends about, you've got some businesses that have, as you said, the large real estate. And if the objectives of the business are not related to how do we drive, how are we driving things like more productivity within the business, then it's not going to align with you know, what's happening in the market. So, and it's quite interesting that you, we talked about, you talked about the big US banks. So in my head, I'm thinking, do you think this is a sector-based thing? Because if all of the big banks are all saying everyone's mandated back into the office, does that, does the opportunity for talent to go elsewhere not really exist because everyone's doing it, so to speak? But I guess the counter argument for that, and again, I'll get... Kathy, your thoughts, and then Evan afterwards. The counter argument to that is, yeah, but it only takes one company to of those banks to be brave and say, do you know what, we are going to do this because it's going to help us to attract t- talent. There is a jumping on the bandwagon aspect to this, right? If you see more organisations mandating return to the office, then you may feel that as a, as a business that, that actually it's an, a sensible decision for you to do that too, because maybe you've seen your competitor do it, right? And so if you if that's where you tend to lose talent to, and that's the approach they're taking, it may help you to push the business decision to say, you know what, we can do this too. Because actually you may feel, as I said, there's good business reasons for making this happen. And you feel as a business, you will be more competitive by having better productivity, better performance, better customer experience, by having having people back in the office. So you may be winning market share or improving your bottom line through that approach. And you may feel that offsets the challenge that you may face in attracting talent going forward. And this is why, again, no silver bullet is going to be a business by business decision. Is it sector led? Maybe, right? You know, the as you say, there's a few other headlines there coming from the US domicile businesses, but actually there are others that are not. I think it, it comes down to that rationale as to what is the business benefit of making this happen quicker than it maybe would do if, if we just left it to evolve on, on its own versus the um, risk of people either leaving or not being able to attract talent over time. Yeah. And Evan, just uh, to close this one out, any sort of thoughts from that perspective from you? I think in terms of your question, if people are able to move to another company, I would still say yes. I would still say there are organizations that even though a lot of organizations are saying, look, you have to come back to the office a number of days a week or five days a week. I definitely think there are going to be organizations that say, we don't have that policy. You don't need to do that. 
come and work for us. And I think people will continuously look for that kind of flexible working. We talked a lot about the business making the decision. I'd be really, really interested to see how they did that and whether or not they asked their employees at all. What data did they use? Did they go to their employees and say, are you more productive? Do you like working from home? What are your job satisfaction levels? That kind of stuff. Did they go out to their employees and say, and, and gather that data and use that to influence their decisions? I would probably say no, but I, I couldn't be 100% sure. And then, Cathy, you spoke about different different industries. I'm kind of going off on a bit of a tangent here, but you spoke about different industries. But there's a, there's other types of flexible working practices that you can offer. Chris, you spoke about the four-day work week at the, very, at the very beginning. That's a type of fl- flexible working offering that you can provide your employees if you if they have to be in the organization if i'm nurse let's say i could do compressed hours where i do three 12 hour shifts or four 10 hour shifts but i get three or four days off so there's other types of flexible working practices that that you can offer exactly evan and and what's catching the headlines here is is the office attendance as opposed to those right and 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 i agree with you there are ways and ways in which you can deliver flexibility and choice to your to your workforce whether they have to physically be present to do their jobs or not right but i think here you know that that what i've also found interesting is that some of the practices that are being spelt out in in the press actually relate to leaders and there's this the attachment of leadership bonuses for example to physically being in the office or a direction of jp morgan for example where five days a week is for their senior people whereas others are three days a week for the less senior workforce in jp morgan mm-hmm. so why is that and, and i think that that's really interesting because if we think about it Senior people in a business are more likely to live in an environment that is conducive to working from home, right? They may well have a personal office space at home where they don't, you know, they have their own environment where they don't get interrupted and aren't trying to work at a kitchen table. They're unlikely to be in shared accommodation with with others apart from their family, right? They're likely to have gardens, they're likely to have larger spaces to feel comfortable in. And therefore, maybe from their point of view, actually, I can do do my job perfectly well from home. But actually, it's those individuals who probably have the most significant impact on the culture of the learning, the innovation that's going on in the business environment. And hence, attracting them back in particular is proving a bit of a challenge, right? When from their point of view, on an individual level, they may feel they can do their job perfectly well at home. But on the collective level, they have a huge influence on the, the performance of the business and 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 that can be enhanced by being physically present in the office for all the reasons we've described. So it's quite interesting that 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 group alone are being targeted by different businesses. Yeah, it's quite fascinating as well. I was at our HR shared services forum a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about the importance of people like entering the workforce, learning those skills from their line managers and also the more exposure that they were getting to their line managers, the better their their probability or their chances of career development and then promotions uh, were in place. So if those line managers themselves aren't in the office, then that stifles that sort of next generation coming through. So that's just quite an an interesting take. I want to talk about, because one of the sections that we talk about in the blog is make the office experience amazing, which is kind of the flip towards, well, we're just going to tell you to do something. It's kind of the carrot and the stick side, isn't it? And we talked about, you know, if you've got a great place to work, it doesn't matter whether or not you're told or not told, you want to be in there. So Evan, I just want to start with you, just get some thoughts from that play, that perspective that, you know, you don't need to worry about mandating people if the culture and the vibe that you get within your working environment is is that good. 
Yeah, 100%. And and Cathy mentioned it there. There's, there's individuals who probably have spaces at home that are easier to work in. Currently, I'm living in London City, so I'm living in a flat that wouldn't be the biggest. I've no garden. So and I'm 25 minutes away from work. And the workplace that I go into is a lovely environment. And you're not First just saying all, that because Cathy's on the call. <laughs> no, I'm not just saying that. Speak Cathy's freely, Evan. <laughs> Speak, I'm speaking freely. <laughs> We get free coffee, first of all. <laughs> so free barista coffee when I go in, which is a, is a, is a danger in itself, but it's a lovely perk to have. But the, the kind of an, an environment that you go into, so we have an open plan office, you can freely chat to people beside you. And, and again, it goes back to this learning piece. If I have a question, I can easily just see that Cathy's across there and she might have worked on something that I've worked on before or something similar. And I can go over to Cathy and ask her a question about it. So it comes back to that. And there's kind of different areas where we can, within the office, where we can go and collaborate. So there's there's meeting rooms with kind of whiteboard spaces where if we need to hash things out as a group, we can go and do that. So they're the kind of some of the things that you would be looking for in an office to make it great if someone was to say, Evan, you need to be in the office five days a week. I think that um, from my perspective, the, the environment does need to be appealing. If you're going into, if you're being asked to go back to work and the office is less comfortable than home, is less conducive to enable you to do your job, why wouldn't you want to stay at home, right? Uh, you, you need to overcome the challenge of for lots of people an hour each way's commute, right? They're, they're losing time when they would normally be working in comparison with what they've been doing for the last few years. So it has to feel better and it has to be exciting amazing conducive to doing your job but we are all social creatures right we have to recognize that being at work should be fun as well so actually providing an environment where you can interact socially where you can collaborate as evan said where there's space to not just sit at your desk i think it's really important you know we're a growing business where we we need to move on from our lovely office that we've got at the moment and go to another space and and that can accommodate our bigger team and a big part of us choosing where to go was ensuring that actually that there was plenty of collaboration space, open space where people can, you know, stand around a whiteboard and, and work out solutions together. That it does feel fun to be in and, and it's a positive environment and it reflects our culture. And, and therefore, you know, that, that actually having that compelling environment to be in is a big attraction factor, a pull factor, as you say, Chris, the carrot, if you like, rather than the stick of, of ensuring that you get the balance right. Now, if you overlay on that, if we said to everyone at LACE, you have to be in the office four or five days a week, that takes some of the shine off that environment, I think. And, and you know, from our cultural point of view, it's not something we're going to ask our people to do, but we also do want people to get together and we encourage people to do that by providing an environment that, that makes them want to come in. Yeah, definitely. And just building on your point around social beings, I think there's a big part around the well-being side, certainly for me personally, the mental well-being side. So I've had days where I've been at home and you just feel a bit because you're in your almost for me, I, I'm lucky I have a, an office and a, I, effectively my box of work, which I can then go into and then exit at the end of the day. But still, you spend if I spend too many times in that box without getting that camaraderie, my own product is a balance, isn't it? Because my own productivity or right, I get two hours back that I could then do work. But if I'm not feeling if my well-being is such that I'm not feeling as engaged, then that's a challenge. And I've had any I had instances where I've had I finish a day and just been a bit like and then I've gone into the office the next day. And even though I may not have 
physically been able to output as much, my engagement in what I was doing was actually a lot greater. So I just think that's that well-being side is an is an interesting point. Yeah, and um, I don't think we can underestimate that, Chris, to be honest, and the positive support environment you get from being with other people as well as the lifting your spirits type environment. I think mm. it's really important. Sorry, Evan, go on. I was just going to say it absolutely has a knock-on effect then. If you go into the office for two days and then you work from home on a Thursday or a Friday, I can imagine that your energy on that Thursday or that Friday is higher again because you've gone into the office. Exactly. I think there's, there's, I also want to come back to Evan's point earlier around how do you know it's the right thing for your employees? Have you asked the question? Mm. I think to me, that's the critical balancing act here. It's a brave decision, right, for an organisation to say you have to come back to the office. And to your point, Evan, ideally, they've done that after some degree of consultation and, and discussion with the workforce to understand their preferences. Um, but whether they've done that or not, I think if an organisation is going down that route, it's really important to set out why, because we're all logical people, right? If we, if we can understand that, that there's a business imperative, that the business success and my role within that business and my future success is dependent on me and the business having more presence in the office, we get it, right? We can understand the logic. But I think, you know, ultimately, there is this need to ask individuals what their preferences are but to explain the rationale as clearly as possible so people understand the reasons rather than it feeling like I've had no influence or no choice in the matter. Yeah, certainly. We are almost out of time. We're almost on 30 minutes. I just wanted to wrap up with a kind of a final sort of takeaway from your perspective. I'll go to you, Evan, first. Is there anything that you want our listeners to kind of take away from this or anything you feel maybe we haven't quite touched on today? And I think it's kind of to echo exactly what Cathy just said there. Ask your employees what would work best for them. If you're going to implement a mandated return to work, make sure that you do it in the right way. And also, it doesn't have to be permanent. Why not pilot and then gather more data and then see if it's working? If it's not working, then pivot. That's what I would say. Nice. And Cathy, just because I know you always like to have the last word. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you know me too well, Mr. Howard. <laughs> Look, I, I think there's there's the balance of the push and pull here, right? As always, when we're managing change effectively, we try and get the balance right between the push and pull. I think we should be aware and, and understand that the power balance between the employee and the employer is unlikely to shift anytime soon, right? We are in a situation where it is hard to find good talent. And that's the case in multiple organisations across multiple in industries, Therefore, it's an expectation from a lot of talent that being able to work flexibly is a hygiene factor now. It becomes something that they expect to be there as a base requirement in how they operate. And therefore, it is a, a, a balancing act of understanding the business imperative behind having people back to the office versus the talent attraction bonus of having flexible working as a core part of your employee value proposition. And that's why there is no never one size fits all to this. It's about balancing the two and making an informed judgment. But to Evan's point, absolutely consult your employees and understand their position now, and then use the information you've got around the business impact to explain the rationale and get the balance right. Absolutely spot on. And thank you very much for both of your time today. Evan, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Chris. And Cathy, as always, a pleasure. 
<laughs> Thank you, Chris. Really enjoyed the debate. It's been a really, really interesting one. You can, of course, if you want to read the blog that we've got, there's a couple of additional ad interesting bits in there, such as we've got a piece in there, which we didn't touch on today, which talks about how there are noises that government regulation could uh, step in and potentially change uh, the fundamentally way in which organisations can or can't offer hybrid working. So it's worth checking out the blog there. Again, that's uh, lacepartners.co.uk forward slash insights. You can also see our podcast series there. We've got all of our podcasts, blogs, webinars that we do are all listed there as well. Thank you very much as always for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed this particular episode. I certainly have enjoyed getting a couple of laces on to uh, chew the fat on all things enforced return to the office. We will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.